Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Charts at Billboard. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Executive Digital Director, West Coast. How's it going, Katie? Pretty good. How about yourself? I'm all right. Did we did we trade raspy positions this week? Yeah, you were, <laughs> you were Bonnie Tyler, and now I'm Harvey Firestein. <laughs> oh, man. I was trying to think of like a raspy-voiced uh, male singer. Oh, yeah. ra- there's not a lot of men known for rasp. And like Rod Stewart, actually. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, give yourself Rod Stewart. Okay. I mean, Harvey Firestein is a legend, but give yourself Rod Stewart. I mean, rock and Rod, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, um, you know, I saw Rod Stewart once. Oh, really? Like, not like... In person. Yeah, like in person, not at, in, a, in a show. Okay. Um, uh, we were at a restaurant, and uh, we were sit- standing at the bar before dinner, and he was just at the end of the bar, just... Enjoying nah, a drink. Nah, he's not allowed to just be at a bar. He, he was just like a normal <laughs> human being. And I'm like, wow, Rod Stewart's a baller. It was just like That's our awesome. local neighborhood restaurant. Love that. Yeah, Love I that. didn't go talk to him or anything. I didn't want to be like the weirdo. Um, <laughs> all right, anyway, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got chart news on how SZA's SOS hits a milestone 10th week at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart. Who else has reached 10 weeks on the chart in recent times? Hmm, well, hold on in a second and we'll tell you. (laughs) And Pink lands her ninth top 10 charting set on the Billboard 200 as Trustfall arrives at number two. Plus, Taylor Swift achieves a rare feat on the chart as the superstar has 10 albums on the chart at the same time. It's the first time she's ever done that, but who else has managed this unique feat? Well, again, we'll tell you in just a moment. Just be patient. Just be patient. (laughs) You know, with SZA ruling the Billboard 200 for 10 weeks and possibly eyeing an 11th, we're taking a look at the two biggest new releases on the horizon. We have Morgan Wallen's One Thing at a Time coming this Friday, and we have Miley Cyrus coming next week with Endless Summer Vacation. Plus... As Pink does the press rounds for Trustfall, she's dropped a lot of newsy nuggets, including that Madonna invited both her and Gwen Stefani to join in the Like a Virgin moment at the 2003 MTV VMAs, which eventually, of course, included Britney and Christina instead. And Missy Elliott. And Missy Elliott. Don't forget Missy. So who else did Madonna invite? This, what, what headline are we going to see next? We'll talk about that and more. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit Billboard.com slash podcasts. All right. 
Let's do the chart chat. Keith, I have one thing to say. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm inspired by Sesame Street as a mom, but the number, the episode is brought this week by the number 10. The number 10 is the most important number on this week's podcast, wouldn't okay. you say? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, as the count might say. <laughs> exactly. 10, 10. Ah, 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 ah. Uh, and why is that, Keith? Because first up, Scissors SOS collects a 10th non-consecutive week at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart. And since 2010, only eight albums have notched at least 10 weeks atop the list, including SOS. The last to do so was Bad Bunny's Un Verano Sin with 13 non-consecutive weeks at number one in 2022. The last album by a woman with 10 weeks at number one was Adele's 25 with 10 non-consecutive weeks in late 2015 and early 2016. In the latest charts tracking week, ending February 23rd, SOS earned 87,000 equivalent album units in the United States. That was down 7% compared to the previous week, according to Luminate. Before we move on, SZA's Kill Bill holds at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 songs chart, while Miley Cyrus's Flowers continues to lead the list for a sixth week. So, Keith, we talked about this last week, too. You know, we were like, can SZA get to 10 weeks? She did. She did. But can she go for 11 weeks? She might. <laughs> um, actually, though, um, Carol G's uh, Mañana Será Bonito, I apologize if I've mangled that. I think that was great. Okay. Um, her album uh, just came out uh, Friday, and it's looking like it maybe could possibly... Maybe debut number one, maybe? That'd be a big, big, huge, massive deal for Carol. It, it would be. I mean, we're recording this on Tuesday. It's still early in the week. I'm not making a forecast, but um, there, you know, definitely she may have a shot. You know, it's kind of surprising, though. She's never even had a top 10 album. Wow. Her, her highest charting album reached number 20. Uh, it was her last album that hit number 20, but it spent a fairly a decent amount of time on the chart. Um, and in the past year, she's charted two top 10 hits on the all-genre streaming songs chart. So she's going into this new project with a lot of buzz. There's a big Shakira collaboration on it, which is getting a lot of attention. Um, all that said, if this album debuts at number one, it'll be the first time an all-Spanish-language album by a woman has ever been number one. And... Uh, the first time an all-Spanish-language album by anyone named anything but Bad Bunny would be number one. Mm -hmm. um, and only the third number one album by a woman that would be in mostly non-English uh, previously. I was going to say, you got to tell us who the first two were now. Yeah. Katie, do you have any guesses? Um, uh were the other two languages Spanish? Yeah, uh, one of them was. Okay. And one of them was not. And I say mostly because, you know, up until fairly recently, you know, if you went to number one, you were not entirely in another language. So this this album was more than half Spanish. And was it an artist who's primarily known for singing in English, typically? Nope. Oh, really? Because I was going to guess Selena Gomez. Um, uh, I, but, don't, but, I don't. But there's there's. I was also going to ask Christina Aguilera. Jennifer Lopez, etc. None of those people, though. Uh, I'll just tell you. It yeah, was, please uh, tell me. It was a Selena. Ah, I with, was so close. With uh, Dreaming of You. I, mean, I should have said, was it Selena? Selena? And then it could have, and it I could stopped. have had two, two guesses. Yeah, Selena's Dreaming of You uh, was number one, mm. and it was more than half Spanish. 
Um, it had like I think of like, course it had the song "Dreaming of You," which is in yes. English, a had, breakthrough English hit. It had more than half uh, Spanish, but it also had a number of English songs, and it had a couple of sort of Spanglish mm. cl- uh, collaboration duet things on mm, there. What was the other one? The Singing Nun self-titled album. Well, I'm glad I didn't take too long to guess on that one. I believe it was 1963, and it was in uh, we always completely in French. The Singing Nun always comes up. <laughs> she, <laughs> I should remember this. That darn Singing Nun. <laughs> Okay, so uh, if Carol G does get to number one, maybe possibly maybe, we don't know. What is really crazy is looking ahead at the next couple of weeks right. because we have this Friday Morgan Wallen's thirty-six track project called "One Thing at a Time," which is of course his first album since "Dangerous" the double album. Keith, did that spend ten weeks at number one in the Billboard two hundred? Is that right? Ten weeks at number one, all consecutive. 10 consecutive weeks at number one. So this, and that had 30 songs, by I the way. I think who should really be scared about that is who's coming next week. Yeah. Miley Cyrus. I uh, about that. With Endless Summer Vacation. She's having such a moment with flowers and completely unstoppable on the Hot 100 right now. But can she top Morgan Wallen's second week with, you know, the first album since Dangerous, which was such a huge hit, not to mention... Uh, one thing at a time includes a, a rash of hits that have already come out. Uh, it's got a lot of momentum. You know, uh, do you want me to offer thoughts? Please, on this? I would absolutely love that. <clears throat> I've, I'm, I'm concerned <laughs> as well. Um, putting, you know, putting like, let's pretend I work for you know RCA Records and you know. Not RCA, sorry, Columbia Records. Team Miley. Miley switched from RCA to Columbia. And, you know, maybe they know something that we don't know. Like, maybe they have a huge number of pre-orders for all of her physical copies. Mm -hmm. Maybe her vinyl is going to do incredibly well. Maybe this is going to be a big, you know, I mean, obviously it's going to be a huge streaming album. You know, Flowers, this is an enormous hit. She's probably going to sell very well. But even still, it's like, will you be able to compete with Morgan's second week? I mean, I think she announced her date first. And so maybe they didn't want to flinch, like didn't want to move. But uh, he didn't announce his album date until less than a month ago. Hmm. So I I feel like this is a wrench in their their early plans. Or maybe, you know, maybe Morgan wanted to get at least one week ahead you know, go before Miley, so he wasn't going head to head. Yeah, maybe with he's her. scared of Miley. Maybe we're misreading the situation. Maybe. I mean, and, we. And this is an unprecedented Miley situation we're coming into right now because, you know, Flowers uh, is like the biggest out the gate hit that she's ever seen. Right? Yeah. Like, Wrecking Ball was her one number one previously on the Hot 100, but she's never had this sort of like, you know, immediate hit. So there's a lot more eyeballs on Miley than ever before. Yeah. Surprisingly, given how high profile she's been for how long she's been in the public eye, this kind of this kind of reminds me of when um, Taylor Swift and Paul McCartney had albums coming out so mm. very close to one another. They did a little gentlemanly handshake deal, didn't they? They, they did. Taylor, uh, you know, went first, mm. and Paul went one week later mm-hmm. instead of going head to head. And you know, if you you can kind of look at it in in a way, thinking, okay, well, look. Paul was just going against Taylor's second week. Yeah. Not the first. Week. Right. So Miley's going up against Morgan's second week. So, you know, this is not what Keith would say, but some <laughs> might say if you can't beat the second week of someone, well, then 
that that was maybe your you son. shouldn't have had your oh, number, well. number one anyway. Oh well. Yeah, I mean, there's albums that have been in in SZA's wake for the last three months, basically. Yeah, like Pink this week, for instance. Yeah, Pink, somebody who's pretty reliably uh, reliable at getting to number one, did not, and that's that's how strong the SZA album yeah. is. So we don't know what's going to happen with Morgan and Miley. Um, but it's incredibly exciting for music in general to have these enormous, huge albums coming out, and yes. it feels like we're really kind of entering in you know, a really exciting time of the year with, you know, huge albums and all the tours are about to huge start. Huge albums, huge both in profile and in length. 36 tracks, Mr. M- Mr. Wallen. Yeah, well, Miley's album isn't that long, though. <laughs> no, it I, sure isn't. I think it's under 20 tracks. Yeah, and actually she released the track list. Thank you for the perfect setup. Oh, sure. She released the track list for Endless Summer <clears throat> Vacation um, just, <clears throat> when was that? Uh, just Mon- Monday? Yeah. Yeah, so we're yeah. recording on Tuesday. Um, uh, you know, we obviously know Flowers is on this album. I don't need to read out the track names to you, but there are some interesting guests on the mm-hmm. track list. Um, the first one being Brandy Carlisle, which I love the idea of these two voices together. Like Miley and Brandy, my God, I just, I cannot wait to hear this. It's a song called Thousand Miles, probably not a Vanessa Carlton cover. We don't know that for a fact, but probably not. Um, and then speaking of huge voices, the other feature is Sia. So Miley's like, I feel like Miley is in her like, just like badass lady phase. And I feel like Brandy Carlisle and Sia are the perfect guests for that phase. Yeah. You know? So, um, how very, many, how many songs on the album? Oh, let me count. Oh, one of them is the flower demo on the track list. 13 tracks. Oh, that's it. Yeah. So, well, you know, Morgan has more than double the tracks. <laughs> more than, almost three times the tracks. Um, wow. Yeah. And Keith, can you talk to us about how that could potentially affect streaming, the idea of somebody having 36 tracks on an album versus 13? I mean, the more so the way the chart works is that, you know, the number of official on-demand streams that the songs on your album generate, including all the different permutations of those songs, remixes, alternative versions, all of those things roll up to the main project, the main album. Take all those official on-demand streams and then you divide them either by, uh, depending on where they're coming from, meaning premium services, like mm-hmm. if you pay for Apple or pay for Spotify, uh, you divide that by 1,250. Uh, or it's if- too much math, Keith. It's, it's a lot of math. <laughs> it's charts. Um, and, or if they are ad-supported, like mm-hmm. meaning if you listen to Spotify with ads- Freemium. Or, freemium. Or if you maybe listen to something on YouTube- you divide the total number of streams by thirty-seven fifty. So, uh, take you know, you know, we'll often say like, oh, something generated one hundred and fifty million official on-demand streams. Well, you have to take that and like weight it down yeah. and divide down. Well, just think about it. The more songs you have on an album, the more streams you can accumulate. The more opportunities you have for people to enter that album somewhere. Right. And thirty-six tracks. Like if a you know a Morgan Wallen fan is dedicated enough to listen to that full project, yeah. which they will be. Repeatedly. Repeatedly. Same thing with Miley. She's going to have the, the the Miley fans that listen to all 13 of those songs Exactly, repeatedly. over and over and over again. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where you, when you think about it, you're like, hmm, so the more songs you have, the more chances you have of generating a bigger number. So is that, oftentimes people will say like, well, you know, some artists like, 
a Barbra Streisand or maybe a Miley Cyrus are only going to make like 12, 13, 14 songs on an a album. A traditional album. Hip-hop artists and Morgan Wall are going to churn out like 25, 30 track They're going to release the deluxe edition two hours after the first one Morgan, came out. Morgan may have a deluxe version <laughs> he might. waiting in the wings. 50 <laughs> songs for all we know. All this is to say... <clears throat> That Will Sizzle get an 11th, 12th, or 13th uh, week. Uh, uh, Carol G and Morgan and Miley might say mm, 10 weeks might might be it. We'll see. This, we'll see. This might this 10 weeks might be the end, but it's a nice, solid, huge round number for SZA. All right. Well, let's let's move on to some other uh, chart news. Uh, Taylor Swift lands a rare feat on the Billboard 200 albums chart as the superstar has. Ten. 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 Ah, ah, ah. Concurrently <laughs> charting albums on the March 4th dated list. Since the Billboard 200 was combined from its previously separate mono and stereo LP charts into one all-encompassing list in August of 1963, Taylor is just the fifth artist to earn this achievement. And on the March 4th chart... Swift holds the following titles. Midnight's set number three. Folklore is number 28. Lover is 41. 1989 is number 50. Red, Taylor's version, is number 56. Lover, Live from Paris, a new album that debuts this week, is number 58. Reputation is number 100. Evermore is 103. Fearless, Taylor's version, is 172. And Speak Now is 192. You know what this list tells me? This list tells me she better get trucking on a couple of those Taylor's versions, re-records, because there's some money that's going to other people right now. But continue. There you go. (laughs) Um, By the way, the Lover Life from Paris album, uh, that debuts this week on the chart as a vinyl-only release, which was sold exclusively through Swift's official web store. It arrives on the tally with 13,500 equivalent album units earned all from album sales. And all nine of the other albums that Swift has on the lo- on the list this week are former number ones. Um, and if you're wondering what this Lover Life from Paris thing is, because you probably have not heard of it, um, it was recorded at the Olympia in Paris on September 9th, 2019, in support of her then-new Lover studio album. This is just a kind of one-off specialty piece well, that she did for her web store. It ended up being a very important concert because her Lover Fest concerts that were planned for 2020 were obviously canceled due to COVID-19. They never happened. So she never toured around Lover, and she never did those Lover Fest shows in the U.S. So was this like kind of like the one and only real kind of concert? Yeah, mm. like she did uh, some promo stuff like around the album. Like I know she did like a little maybe, you know, four or five songs set in New York and stuff like that, but nothing proper. So, yeah, mm. so this is the one and only. If you want to listen to it, now you can. Um, so if you're wondering who were the other acts that have had 10 albums on the chart at the same time, I'll tell you. I was wondering. I mean, um, I wasn't because I edited Keith's article about this yesterday, but I'm I'm wondering in place of the listeners. <laughs> so Prince did it three times in three separate weeks in May of 2016 following his death. David Bowie did it once in January of 2016 following his death. The Beatles did it uh, for one week in March of 2014 after the CBS TV special um, 
The Night That Changed America, a Grammy salute to the Beatles. It which, was the Ed Sullivan Show anniversary. Yes. Um, I know, was there. It, yeah, shut up. <laughs> it was so great. Ringo and Paul together. Oh. It was a, a TV special <laughs> uh, commemorating specifically the 50th anniversary of the Beatles' first live American TV performance on the Ed Sullivan Show, and also just 50 years of the Beatles. Right. You know. Um, then Whitney Houston did it for one week in March of 2012 after she died. And then the Beatles did it two more times, once in December 2010 and once in January 2010. The December 2010 instance uh, came after the group had debuted in the iTunes store for the mm. first time. And then in January 2010, that was shortly after we started allowing catalog slash older albums mm -hmm. to chart again on mm -hmm. the Billboard 200. And they had recently reissued all of their albums um, digitally remastered on CD. So all these and things have reasons also, why they're on the on And that the would habit. also explain why 2010 is the first instance of this, yeah. you know, post-1963, <clears throat> because catalog albums were not uh, allowed on the chart previously, right? Yeah, basically from... I mean, I don't. I mean, I don't know exactly what all the rules were before 1991, but from 1991, basically May of 1991, when we started using SoundScan, now Luminate data, catalog albums were generally not allowed to chart on mm -hmm. the Billboard 200 or on any of our main album charts. They were all pushed to a catalog chart um, up until. December 2009, when we started allowing older albums to chart again. So ever since then, we've seen, you know, Journey's Greatest Hits and Bob Marley's Legend and, you know, Creedence Clearwater and any number of Taylor Swift albums can all chart now forever. Yeah. As opposed to decades ago in the 90s and the 2000s and up to the end of 2009, basically the chart was a current album sales chart. Right. Um, so today, the chart works a lot differently. Like, certain albums, like our friend Morgan Wallen that we talked about earlier, his album Dangerous can stay on the chart forever because streaming keeps him on the chart. Right. Or, I actually yeah. wondered, when I saw the list of artists who uh, achieved this with no context, I wondered whether one of the times was when the Beatles came onto Spotify, because I remember that being a big event, but... It might have been a big old event, but maybe the the audience was not yet there on streaming and for Spotify. You know what I mean? Like to mm, turn that into a chart achievement. I mean, what, you know what it's what 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 motivated the Beatles was. I mean, a lot of it was just sales. Yeah, CD sales, iTunes sales, yep. and then you know you had a huge TV event. Yep. to make all that happen. Yep. Um, someone did ask me um, yesterday when they were looking at this story before you saw it. They said, "Well, why did?" Why did Prince have so? Why did at one point Prince had nineteen albums on the chart at the same time? Wow, um, that's the most anyone has had, you know, since nineteen sixty three. Yeah, and that was May fourteenth, twenty sixteen. He had nineteen different albums on the chart. That's basically ten percent of the chart. Yeah, and they said, well, why did he have so many? I'm like, well, um, he died. Right. Um, but that was the first week after he died. <clears throat> no, first it, charting week. It, it was actually the second charting oh. week. Oh, so on May seventh. 2016, that was the chart that reflected the first day of his death, okay. April 21st, which was also the final day of that chart's tracking I week. See. And that was the week the very best of Prince re-entered the chart at number one. Got it. The following week, he had suddenly 19 albums on the chart. We yeah. had a full seven days of activity yep. after his death. Um, also, I had I reminded this person, I said, you know, Prince is one of those artists who has a, just gajillions of hits. Yep. 
and so many albums that are incredibly notable mm-hmm. that his the the breadth of the impression and the attention that people were giving to his catalog was spread across tons and tons of albums whereas someone like Michael Jackson only had a relative handful of albums mm. to listen to. Yeah. Um, same thing with Whitney Houston. Um, Dave, David Bowie's a little bit different, but you get the idea. Yeah. Anyway, yep. I'm rambling. <laughs> um, all right, last thing this week. Pink's Trustfall debuts at number two on the Billboard 200 albums chart, giving the star her ninth top ten charting set. The new effort, which is her first studio release since the chart topping Hurts to be Human in 2019, Bows with 74,500 equivalent album units earned. Of that sum, album sales comprise 59,000, and the album debuts at number one on the top album sales chart. Trustfall was preceded by the single Never Gonna Not Dance Again, which marked Pink's 30, 30th hit on the pop airplay chart, 19th top 10 on the adult pop airplay list, and 35th entry on the Billboard Hot 100. And of course, for Trustfall, Pink has been doing all sorts of press. And there, I mean, one, there's been so many headlines, but one of the ones that caught Keith and my attention was the fact that Pink, just like Jennifer Lopez a few months ago, said that she was also invited by Madonna to be part of the 2003 MTV VMAs performance that where she performed like a virgin and it ended up being... Uh, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera only, but... And Missy Elliott. Oh, I'm again, listen. God, the shade. You, it's not shade. It's literal, like, it's it's erasure is what it is because when you see that Who'd moment... That it's Missy. <laughs> there's some people who straight up don't even know Christina was part of it because the famous picture is Britney and Madonna Britney kissing. And Madonna, yeah. Christina kissed Madonna too. Yeah, well... No one cares or at knows. At that point, the camera had already cut to Justin Timberlake <laughs> in the audience which, and they only got the second half of the Christina which kiss. Which was a great reaction shot. Um, so we were all surprised, or I was surprised, I'll speak for myself, a few months ago when Jennifer Lopez said she was invited to be part of that too. Obviously, J-Lo, huge star, huge pop career at that point. Uh, Pink, uh, huge star also. But it's like, what but, was the but, plan? But Pink also said that she oh, thought Gwen Stefani, Gwen Stefani was, also was also invited. invited. That's right. She, and she actually <clears throat> said in her quote, uh, it was going to be a party. Like, basically, like, I mm. think Madonna's original Let's idea... Let's get the party started, <laughs> I, I get the impression Madonna's original idea was, like, get every, like, hot pop star, hot female pop star from that moment, like, in one place, and they all, you know, make out with Madonna. <laughs> they all... Orgy, live on stage, <laughs> starring Madonna. I mean, that's how Madonna likes it, I think. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, I mean, but it's so just... this amazing idea. We're going to recreate the sex book. And- <laughs> right. <laughs> but it paints a completely different picture of what happened, because I feel like everyone sort of looked at Britney and uh, Christina as being, like, the top of that heap at that point in time, 2003, and that she was almost, like, passing the torch via a kiss. I think, yeah, I think there was the vibe of uh, passing the the pop torch. Yes. Also, because there had been this uh, alleged animosity and rivalry between Britney, Britney and, and Christina, Christina, that made it even more fascinating to watch the two of them sort of slink around on stage mm-hmm. together before Madonna then arrives. 
you know, on stage. Because they could not turn down an invitation from Madonna. Other people apparently did. Well, or we don't, we actually, we don't I'm, know that. That's what I'm saying. Like, we don't know. Did, like, okay, so maybe, maybe like an invite was sent out. So I know Jennifer Lopez said she was shooting a movie in Canada, shooting Gili, I think. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'm good. I don't know if that's a great good, career good choice, choice, but well, Pink did, said she was in Costa Rica at the time. Having it, she was on her honeymoon. Maybe. She was with Cor- with her still husband, Carrie Hart. Stefani on the phone? What was her reason? What was Gwen's reason? I don't know. But that's the thing. We don't know if the scheduling conflicts just made clearer what the intention of the performance was and that this is what they wanted. Like, they wanted Christina and Brittany first and foremost. That was, like, the number one thing. And the other things were, like, ideas or backup plans or potential. Maybe it was like they sent out feelers to everyone, like, hey, we've got this idea. Would you be interested? <laughs> they looked at, like, the top 20 of the Hot 100 that week, and they're like, Avril Lavigne, <laughs> are you available? <laughs> like, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the woman from Evanescence. Well, when Pink said she was invited, what year was Lady Marmalade? Because it made me realize Missy obviously was involved in that. Okay, so it was before that. So Christina was obviously there. Pink allegedly invited we're only missing Maya and Lil' Kim, right? Like, were sure. they invited to get get them on the horn? Let's LaBelle. find out. <laughs> no, I don't think Patty LaBelle. Aretha Franklin, everyone. <laughs> Here to make out with Madonna. <laughs> just, oh, like, my gosh. They, who, who else was, like, was Beyonce asked? I, I will say it feels like... It happened exactly as it should have happened, and, yes. and these headlines are all sort of funny to think about. I like the idea of it being literally like if they had brought like a dozen pop stars up on stage, it would have been a whole situation. I don't even know what that would have looked like, but I feel like what what happened was meant to happen, and the fact that this still makes headlines literally 20 years later, literally 20 years later, means that the moment is like so iconic and untouchable, people can't even imagine these other women being involved. No. And now I feel like (laughs) the next time we talk to any woman who was relatively known in 2003, we're like, so were you also asked to be part of this VMA? Are you, what is the mean girl line? Nora Jones, were you you asked? Raise your hand if you were personally victimized by Regina George. Raise your hand if Madonna wanted to make out with you on stage in 2003. Did you receive an email from Team Madonna in 2003? Yeah, search your spam folder. (laughs) Do you have an email from? Search your Hotmail account. Do do you have? Oh my God. Incredible. Okay, we can move on. Wait, what are we moving I mean, on maybe to? Maybe we should have moved on. Maybe we should have moved on in 2003, apparently. <laughs> Look, I love talking about Madonna. By the way, Madonna posted a uh, video to her Instagram story the other day of uh, concert tour rehearsals. Ooh, that's um, right. They're... And Keith was out here enhancing the image. Because <laughs> well, it, it was like fat. It was like very, it was a very uh, speedy clip um, of a lot of dancers. And I was like, I was trying to pause to see if I could recognize like any backing vocalists. I did mm-hmm. not see our our faves, Donna and Nikki, unfortunately. Yet. Um, yet. <laughs> the chances of that happening are pretty I slim. Um, but I did see Bob the Drag Queen, though. Oh, yes. And it looks like... Who is opening for Madonna on tour? You know, I don't think it's necessarily opening. Ooh. I think Bob is actually part of the show. Oh, cool. Like, I was pausing, and it looks like Bob is, like, in the middle of dancers on stage. Maybe it's going to be kind of like a cabaret, and Bob's emceeing. Well, so I sent a Slack to Stephen Daw, mm-hmm. um, who I believe is our Pride editor Pride now. editor. Pride editor, and uh, Stephen said that when he spoke to Bob recently, I believe for an interview on .com, Bob sort of said that he was sort of, like, Guiding people through four decades of Madonna. Oh, so that is sort of an MC role. And in in the when I 
you know, paused and enhanced the images. <laughs> it kind of looked like Bob may have been kind of like the MC of like a drag ball kind of moment. Oh, I love the idea of I'm that. I'm like, oh, this kind of makes sense. Madonna, drag ball, Bob, you know, oh. being like work queen, you know, category is oh. Vogue or whatever, you know. Angela Bassett did the thing. <laughs> I just wanted to work that into the show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do we want to talk about awards? Screen Actors Guild Award the other oh night. Oh, my gosh. Oh, there was. I, I feel Every bad for show. our colleagues in film journalism because it was NAACP Image Awards Saturday night, followed by the PGA Awards on, on Saturday also. Mm-hmm. They were covering both back-to-back and then SAG Awards on Sunday night. It's too much. Oscar voting starts, uh, I believe, March 6th. Uh, fifth. That sounds right. I, I sent <laughs> it to you. It's on your script. I sent it to you earlier. It's, not, it's right here. Um, Oscar, there you go. Oh, uh, March it 2nd. opens on March 2nd, which and, is Thursday. Yeah, and runs through March 7th, and mm-hmm. then the Oscars are on March 12th, which Where is... Where Rihanna's performing. They have yet to announce whether Lady Gaga is performing. I hope that she is. You would think that she would. I know. Would. I think she should be. Um, I actually got served an Instagram ad uh, touting Top Gun's Academy Award nominations, oh, and it was plain... For your consideration. Yeah. I love you said served. It sounded like you got like um, a subpoena. <laughs> I got served some papers from from Gaga and some, Tom some, Cruise. Some officials showed up at my door. Was like, you have to listen to this. You, you must consider. I'm like, I'm not even an Academy voter. Um, all right, what else are we talking about? It's time for the chart stat of the week. It's time for the chart stat of the week. <laughs> Already. I really just wanted more news from Katie. No, I, we already got... Well, because my news was tucked into your chart. News. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, then it was all very seamless. That's all right. right. Well, now it's time for the chart stat of the week. Okay, earlier we mentioned how Pink notched her 35th hit on the Hot 100 with Never Gonna Not Dance Again. And this week she achieves her 36th Hot 100 hit as her new album's title track, Trustfall, debuts at number 94. Of Pink's many hits, 15 of them have reached the top 10 on the Hot 100. Mm. But she's had some very memorable hits that missed the top 10. So, Katie, which of the following Pink Hot 100 hits did not reach the top 10? Okay. So three of these have been top 10. So one of them, I've got four choices. Okay. Yeah. And one of them was not. Okay. We have Blow Me, One Last Kiss, mm-hmm. Glitter in the Air, Most Girls, and You in Your Hand. Which of those four did not reach the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100? My guess is Glitter in the Air. You're right. Yeah, because that is famous for the performance, the aerial performance she did. On the Grammy Awards. At the Grammys. But... I didn't know that song until she did that performance. Most people didn't. Yeah. So after the performance, the track reached number 18 on the Hot 100. Uh, Some of her other songs that missed the top 10, but we all know them. Stupid Girls, number 13. Uh, What About Us, number 13. Family Portrait, number 20. Mm -hmm. Uh, You Make Me Sick, hit number 33. And yet, like, I think every, like, Pink fan remembers that. That was, like, her second hit. It was, was, like, one of her very first singles back in the Pink Hair days. Yes. Um, So, yeah, anyway, there's your little uh, chart side of the week about some of Pink's biggest hits on the Hot 100. Have you ever thrown a fistful of glitter in the air? All right, we've reached the end of our big shoe. 
Any parting words, Katie? I just, Pink is such a reliable pop star, I have to say. And I don't know if, if that's the word she'd like to be described as, but like she just, she's consistently doing great pop music, but like almost somehow underappreciated for how steady oh, her career has, has been, she right? Has, she always has been. Um, and it it always just feels like she's, she's, I don't know. It feels, I know. I, I don't want to, this is like zero shade. It's like, no. it's basically saying that she's just underappreciated. She's underappreciated. And I think also she got like way too much sort of flack this past week. Um, you know, when people ask her questions on her press tour touting the new album, people ask you questions. She's very forthcoming to answer things. Yeah. And people dig up old junk from like 10, 20 years ago. Someone asked her about the Lady Marmalade shoot. And she was like, well, at the shoot, like, you know, Maya and Kim, you know, Lil' Kim were nice. Mm. I'm like, we all know that at the time Christina and her didn't get along. But yeah. since then, Christina and her have patched things up and everything is groovy. Right. But like at the time, not so fun. She had this memory. She talked about Madonna when, you know, apparently she loved Madonna. But then they had sort of the, you know, you know, a uncomfortable situation on a talk show where Madonna... She's being punished for being an open book, for what, being yeah. super... Like, she just cannot not be real. Let me, let me finish that thought, because <laughs> yes, people don't please, know what I'm talking please, about. Please. Basically, <laughs> uh, on the Howard Stern show, Pink, uh, Pink was asked by Howard, you know, about Madonna and if they got along, and Pink was like, I love Madonna, I still love Madonna, I always love Madonna. But apparently, on the Regis and Kelly show a long time ago, um, Pink and Madonna were both guests on the show, um, Pink made it known that she was a fan. Madonna uh, invited her to her uh, green room backstage mm-hmm. to meet her. And then when Pink goes out on stage, Regis says, oh, I heard that you were falling all over yourself backstage to meet Madonna. What was that like? And then Pink joked, oh, I thought she invited me to meet her. Right. Like in sort of a pink ha-ha way. Yeah. Apparently, Madonna sort of got bent out of shape about the joke. Mm. And like since then, things have soured. I'm like... Okay, this is stupid. I'm like, clearly, like, Pink has nothing but love for Madonna, and Madonna shouldn't take things so seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking, well, speaking as also, like, a big Madonna fan. And Pink has said that she was annoyed at, like, how many feud headlines it's came so out dumb. of them. I mean, to me, like, the I like the fun history stuff, like what we talked about today. Like, her saying that she got invited to the VMAs, like, that's super fun. I love that she tells us stories like that. Yeah. I don't care what she thought of Christina Aguilera in 2004 or no. 2001, whatever. I mean, I, I enjoy hearing the stories of, like, maybe sort of the drama that happened in the making of Lady Marmalade. Knowing that it's in, like, the rearview mirror. Yeah. Like, yeah. now, I'm like, at the time, I'm sure it was, like, difficult, but they all right. made through it and got a number one out of it. Yay. Bottom line is Pink is great. A Pink national treasure. Ooh, can we go see Pink on one of her, like, big shows this How summer? How many concerts can we possibly go to this all year, Keith? <laughs> Everyone. Yes, I would love to see her. Okay, so we should go out on a Pink song. Obviously. Which one? Oh, my gosh. I have so many favorites, actually. Um... Oh, I don't even know what to choose. So what? Raise your glass. No, uh, effing perfect. I, Most girls get the party started. There you go. Don't let me get me. Okay, you Just know like what? Fire. My, I'm going to do my undercover favorite of Pink's. Oh, it's called okay. Who Knew? Who it's not knew? undercover. It was a hit. It, number nine hit on the Billboard Hot Yeah, it was a top ten hit. But again, like Pink, under the radar, that song. And it's such a good song. We'll go out on Who Knew? And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. I know.